Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read several verses of scripture this morning. The Lord has directed me into a a series of messages that I believe are going to be very pertinent for us in the coming days. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 44. Scripture says, And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. I want you to notice this next phrase. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. If you'll notice this banner behind me is that very scripture. Everything must be fulfilled. Look at your neighbor and say, everything must be fulfilled. Verse 45, and then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures, and he told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So I am going to send to you what my Father has promised, which he is inferring about the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost. So stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. We're going to be using that text over the next several weeks as a covering text for what I believe is going to be very informative and influential in our lives all the way up to Easter. Because if you look through the scriptures, you will find that over 4,000 years ago, Moses, prophet of God, wrote about the birth of Jesus Christ, this coming Messiah. Genesis chapter 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the serpent. Speaking of the coming Messiah, the one who will come. And you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. A prophecy relating to the birth of Christ. And as a matter of fact, you can look through the Old Testament and there are hundreds of inferred prophetic words about the fulfillment of Christ, the Messiah that would come. In particularly, there are 31 explicit prophecies concerning Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, concerning Him as the Savior of the world. I'm not going to list all those 31 because we don't have time today. But I want you to understand this, that the reason that God gave us those 31 explicit prophecies was to help us to identify who the Messiah was, the Savior of the world, the one who would come, as Brother Terry was saying, the one that's going to come and he's not going to have to be voted in. He is just going to take charge. Amen? God gave us these prophecies because if you will understand the time frame that At the time of Christ, there were approximately 250 million people alive in the world. The Roman known empire at that time, around A.D. 33, somewhere in that period. 
And that means that one man out of those 250 million people would have had to die that year. They would have to be a Jewish descendant in the line of David. They would have to have been born in Bethlehem. They would have to have been a teacher who used parables. They would have to have been able to heal people. They would have to have been able to perform miracles. On the last week of their life, they would have had to have ridden into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. They would have had to been rejected by all of the religious leaders and sentenced to death by crucifixion without one bone in their body being broken while their feet and their hands were pierced with nails hung upon a tree during the time of absolute darkness upon the earth. This individual would have had to have died on a very unique week and in particular, on one specific day of that week, the Passover, just before. Now, the probability of those things being fulfilled by one person was worked out by some very, very smart people. Some mathematicians put their pen to the paper to try to figure out how one person could fulfill all of those 31, just the 31 explicit plain, very, very easily seen prophecies about the coming Savior. And they found that the probability would be about 1 out of 254 times 10 to the 28th power. Now that's hard to comprehend. So let me help you this morning. If you were to take our world, our earth, and you were to open up the top of it like a pumpkin and you were to empty the contents of the dirt and the core and the mantle, and you were to hollow out our entire earth, and you were to do that to ten different earths, the same size, the same shape, hollow them out, and then you were to take a plain dime with Eisenhower's head on it, and you were to fill every one of those ten globes that are empty with dimes, and then you were to take one particular dime and you were to color it and paint it red and throw it in the middle of all of those ten worlds filled with dimes. And then you take a man who would walk up blindfolded and on his first try of all of the dimes, he picks out that red dime from all of those emptied earths filled with dimes. That is about 1 to the 254 by 10 to the 28th power astronomical unbelievable how one man fulfilled everything that has already been written about him as we approach Easter here's what I want you to consider friends is that of those 31 explicit specific prophecies concerning Jesus there are two that have yet to be fulfilled and that excites me it excites me because I know that the other 29 have been perfectly fulfilled in the life 
of one individual, and his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He fulfilled them perfectly in the perfect time frame, in the perfect way, in the perfect date, about prophetic words that were written about him thousands and thousands of years before. That gives me faith to believe that of the last two prophecies, one of which, Brother Terry, is that he's coming again, is definitely going to be fulfilled because his word is true and the scripture says everything must be fulfilled that is written about me somebody say amen so be encouraged be encouraged i know that we're living in a crazy chaotic world but friend if you know jesus be encouraged because he's not left you stranded everything that he has said in his word will be fulfilled just as tamara said this word will guide you straight to him as you draw near to him he'll draw near to you So I want you to move back to Luke chapter 17. I want to take a look at another passage this morning. Specifically about some things that Jesus is going to fulfill and how it's going to happen. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Scripture says, Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Now, I really don't like the New New International Translation there. I think they don't do justice in the side notes. It does give a better translation. Those Greek words are entos haimon, which means among you. So Jesus is not saying the kingdom of God is inside of you, you religious Pharisees who wouldn't know uh, anything about what's going on. The kingdom is among you. It's standing right in front of you, talking to you. He says, don't say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is looking you eye to eye. It's right before you. You see, we won't be able to pinpoint, and many have tried, to pinpoint the coming of the kingdom of God by simply just signs and and, 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 and events and visible observations. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were observing the things around them. We can observe the things around us in our world, things that are happening overseas, things that have happened already in our lifetime, things that have taken place in the nation of Israel. And we can give some general idea of what, of what time period we are in. We're definitely within the last days. As a matter of fact, the last days began as Jesus ascended into heaven. That's what the Scriptures teach. We've been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. But every day we approach the closer closing end of the last chapter of the book the pages are turning not just in a steady pace now the pages are turning at a very rapid rate and the things that god is fulfilling in our life are happening right now even if you perceive them or you don't perceive them the kingdom of god is among you we are looking at what god is doing eye to eye just as jesus was teaching the pharisees you're looking at the kingdom of god what is happening in front of you is the kingdom of god is rapidly advancing Pharisees were looking for the first advent or the first coming of Jesus. We don't look for the first coming. He's already come. Now we are looking for the second coming, the second advent of Jesus, the time 
and the place. We don't know particularly exactly how and when that is going to happen. We have a general idea that's taught through the Scriptures, how Jesus will return in the clouds of glory, and He's going to receive us to Him. But the point that Jesus is making here at the very beginning of this passage is that the kingdom of God is going to come upon you in sudden fashion. In sudden fashion. Think about the last couple of years. How quickly things changed. In the course of weeks or months, radically, our nation changed. Our world changed. Just in the last month, in the last several weeks, our world has changed. And I will just tell you this, it will not go back to the way it was. Borders and boundaries won't go back. Things have changed. The geopolitical map is being rearranged. America's position in the world has changed. The condition of our culture has changed. We're not living in the 1950s. We're not living in the 1960s anymore. We're not even living in the 1990s or the 2000s. We live in a new culture. That by and large is devoid of the understanding of God's Word. We live in a biblically illiterate culture. Most people couldn't quote one verse of Scripture to you if you asked them. We have lost the tether to the Word of God. We have lost the tether to the, to the hand of the faithfulness of God in our own nation. We see that from the top, from the White House, all the way through the Congress and the Senate, all the way down to local leaders right here in the city of Denton. We have detethered ourselves from God's Word and from His faithfulness. Hear me. And it has affected not only our nation and our cities, but it has affected you and me. Because the kingdom of God is just like the changing of a page. It happens rapidly. It exceeds our expectations. It catches us off guard. The kingdom of God is advancing right now at a rapid pace. At no other time in history have we seen the things take place that, that, that this word describes. God is usually working that way. I want you to think back to the shepherds who were just minding their business, watching their sheep on the hillsides of Bethlehem. And then all of a sudden, the Scriptures uses this word, and suddenly the hosts of heaven begin to sing, glory to God in the highest. Suddenly the kingdom of God was exposed to a bunch of just ordinary shepherds on their daily sheep herding duties. Think about the Apostle Paul, just a regular day riding on his horse, down the road toward Damascus, and the Scripture uses this word. Suddenly, a light shone from heaven and a voice spoke to Paul, knocked him off of his horse. Suddenly, the kingdom of God changed the Apostle Paul, Saul's life, into the Apostle Paul. Think about the upper room. The Scripture is very explicit. It uses this word, this Greek word, transliterated. Suddenly, a sound of a rushing mighty wind. You see, the kingdom of God exceeds our expectations. Suddenly, things can happen and things can change. And it's because God usually surprises us with how He moves His chessboard because we are playing checkers while He's playing chess. All the while, these Pharisees, these learned men of 
religious understanding, looked for signs. The kingdom of God was looking at them, appearing at them right down their noses. What I want you to see is that we're not waiting on God to do anything, to fulfill something. Rather, He's waiting on us. God is positioning things. And the only thing that ever slows God down, here, listen to me, this is very important. The only thing that slows the kingdom of God is His own patience. Because as the Apostle Peter writes, He is not willing for any to perish. God has set things in front of your life. I want to just apply this to you. God's not wait, you're not waiting on God to do something in your life. He's waiting on you. He's already planted the trees that Zacchaeus is going to climb that had been there for years. He's already carved out the cave that Joseph of Arimathea would use to put the body of Jesus in. God is not waiting. You're not waiting on him. We're waiting. He's waiting on us. He has plans already laid in front of us. The chessboard is already moved. And he's waiting on us to get in line with him. One of my first trips, many of you know, we were missionaries in Ukraine and in Russia, and I have very close friends. Matter of fact, this week I just say this. One of my friends, I'd spoken to him, and I said, hey, you're not just a pastor, you're a soldier now. And he, and he sends a picture, and he's riding his car, and some of you have watched the news. He lives in, in Dnipro, which is in the very center of the, of the, the map, if you've watched any news. And he was driving to the city of Kharkov. Some people don't know what they're saying. They, they call it Kharkov, but it's Kharkov. And it's up there. The, you know, it's surrounded right now. It's being sieged. He's in his car in a little Honda. He's got a, a green, green jacket on, a flak vest. He's got a full-on, look like a World War II Army helmet on, full green. And he's, he's talking about the supplies that he had, and he was taking to Kharkov. We were missionaries there, and I remember one of the first... Uh, trips that I made into a certain city. I landed there and I was waiting for uh, my translators, my connection to pick me up. And, and as I landed in the airport, it was late at night. The flight was delayed. Snow was 10 feet deep outside. And I walked into this airport, got through, got through immigration. My Russian was very rough in those days. I, I talked like about a four-year-old. And I went through the the airport and it was getting late nobody was there they were the only people who were there were soldiers with with ak-47s walking around then all of a sudden i'm thinking i'm gonna have to sleep here i'm gonna freeze here it's cold in this in this airport i look around i'm thinking i've got to make a call because i need to call a friend in the states because i didn't have my contact his phone number his his local phone number and so i I'm thinking, how am I going to call? My cell phone doesn't work. I haven't got a chip. I can't, I can't use a pay phone. I haven't changed any money. All the change places are closed. I, can't, I don't know what I'm going to do. How am I going to get out of this, God? You brought me here, and now I'm stuck in the airport. What am I supposed to do? About that time, another plane landed, and I only saw two or three people come off of it. One man in particular came off of it, and he was a Japanese man, and he looked like he was a businessman. He had a very nice suit on, had an overcoat, had a briefcase, and he walked out of the, of the ramp with a phone, and he was talking on his phone. And I'm thinking, maybe this is my chance. 
So the Lord directs me to go over to this Japanese businessman who is walking through the airport in the middle of, of Ukraine, and, and I walk up to him hoping that he spoke English, and I said, Sir, excuse me. And so he pulls his phone down, and he says in his Japanese accent, Yes, can I help you? And I began to ask him, I know this sounds crazy. I'm an American. And he said, yes, I can tell. He said, how can I help you? I said, I need to make a phone call to the United States. But I don't have a chip in my phone because it's a different system yet. And all the, all the phones are closed. I have no way. Can I borrow your phone, your Japanese phone, and can I call the United States long distance from Ukraine to call a friend to get a number for a person and then I can call this Ukrainian contact so that they can make sure that they pick me up? I'm just wondering. In his weird little Japanese accent, he said, Oh, sure. And he hands me his phone. And I dial and make all the calls. You see, God knew when I would land my plane and he already had this Japanese businessman traveling thousands of miles, landing at the airport, just a few terminals down, and he would be on his phone using it. And he said, how can I help you? And I'm thinking, God, you have had this planned all along. He was helping me. The Lord was helping me. He knew the plans that he had for me. God is for you. He is for you. Suddenly, the kingdom of God moves in. I was looking down my nose at the very plans of the kingdom of God being fulfilled in my life. You see, that's how it happens. That's how it happens. Unknowingly, God is preparing. Look at the next verse, verse 22. And then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. But you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, here he is. Do not go running after them. He moves his conversation from the Pharisees to the disciples, and he says, look, you're going to have a time when you're going to remember all of our times together. The times walking down the road, the times eating meals together, the times that I stood in front of thousands of people. You're going to remember those times when I was physically present with you. And you are going to long for those days. As a matter of fact, you're going to long for the day, not just of when that was in the past, but you're going to long for the day that it will happen again in the parousia when I come back, when I return, and I am able to be with you physically present again. I'm like those disciples. I am looking forward to the time when Jesus comes back. Can I hear someone say amen? But before that, listen to what he says, look. You will live through a great time of deception. A great time of deception. The most critical marker, hear me, church, the most critical marker of the last days is an absolute commitment to deception and falsehood. If you want to identify how, where we are in the time frame of the kingdom, the best way is to identify the falsehoods and the propaganda and the deception that is being laid out in front of you every day. 
In the days before Jesus' return, the truth will be a lost commodity. I love what Winston Churchill once said. He said that the very first casualty of war is truth. Friends, there may be war in Russia and Ukraine today, but my friends, we've been in war for a long time. The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violence taken by force because we have been involved in a war that's not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities and rulers of darkness, and their number one strategy is deception and lies and falsehood and propaganda. And they'll say, oh, there he is, here he is, look over there, look over here, there's nothing to see here, trying to distract God's people from the keys that will help us to see the kingdom of God being fulfilled. Everything that's around you right now is a distraction from what God wants you to see, and that is that his kingdom is coming rapidly. The devil pushes all of this stuff because he's the father of lies. He doesn't know how to do anything else but lie. He wants to undermine your faith, and that's why you see deception all around you, is because if God can undermine your faith in institutions and nations and governments and leaders, then, then maybe, he, maybe the, if, devil, if the devil can do that, then maybe he can undermine your faith in the holy, trustworthy, faithful God. If something happens in your life that you've prayed for, and the, the result doesn't turn out to be the way you thought, the devil will come and try to plant doubt into your mind and say, God is not faithful, he's a liar, he doesn't keep his word, he doesn't follow his promises. That's the game plan of the enemy. Filled with lies, filled with the deceptions, goes against the word of God, pumps your mind full of all types of propaganda. My friends, listen, Jesus said in those days, they will be saying, hey, here, look over here, look over there. That's the plans of the enemy. goes on in verse 24 and says, For the Son of Man in His day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Don't, don't make any miscalculation, friend. There will be no mistake when Jesus comes back. The early church was confused. Some in the Thessalonian church thought that the day of the Lord had already taken place. Others in the church of Corinth believed that it wasn't going to happen. But when Jesus comes again, it will be as obvious as the nose on your face. The world will know. Because when the last trump of God sounds, the world will absolutely know that God has once again invaded the history of mankind and the books will never be the same. You may not be able to explain it, but you will know that something has happened because there will be those who are left behind who will be absent family members. They will be absent co-workers. They will be absent leaders and officials and they will be absent pulpits because the pastor will not be there on Sunday for services. There will be those who will be left and they will know Verse 25 says, but first he, Jesus, the Savior, the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, he must suffer many things and he must be rejected by this generation. Before all of this happens, we do know one thing. That before all of these things happen, that there would come a time where 
the Savior would suffer there. He would be found in difficult and trial and he would be rejected. And that would be the headlines all over the news. Because see, here's what I want you to understand. You, without suffering, you have no Savior. Without the crucifixion, you have no King. Without the interment into a borrowed tomb, you have no eternal life in heaven. You have to go through those portals of suffering and trial. Jesus had to do those things. He is the suffering servant, the redeemer, the sacrificed lamb. He had to pass through the valley of darkness so that he might come out as the king of light. So here's an encouragement for you, my friend. As you walk through the journeys and pathways of this life and you find yourself in the midst of suffering and trial and pain, don't think that this is out of the will of God. Some of our suffering comes as a result of God's chessboard being moved so that the kingdom of God might be positioned in such a way in our own lives or in our family's life or in people around us, or people that we meet, so that our suffering, just as the suffering of Christ, just as the pain of our, of our Lord and Savior Jesus, as He went through those things, they are, it is filled with purpose. There is a purpose for your pain, my friend. Don't ever forget that. In the midst of challenges in life, there is a purpose behind the pain because Jesus Christ comes out on the other side and you will come out on the other side as you walk with Him as the victor, as the shining light that this world needs to see because you have been through the valley of the shadow of death and you've come through with the hand of the shepherd who has guided you into the, the green pastures and the living water. Trust in Him. suddenness of the kingdom is moving upon us and he says in verse 26 for just as it was in the days of noah so will it also be in the days of the son of man people were eating and drinking marrying and being given into marriage up to the day noah entered the ark and then the flood came and destroyed them all look at this part it was the same in the days of lot People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day of the Son of, the Son of Man is revealed. Consider that. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down and get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back. For anything. What he's saying is that the kingdom of God, this coming parousia, the second return of Jesus Christ, will be preceded in our lives and perceived as just regular, ordinary, daily life. Many of you know about the events that are occurring in Russia and Ukraine. But how much has really upset your life besides making your gas tank a little bit thinner? Your wallet thinner for sure? Increasing the loaves of bread. Things that are taking place in Washington, honestly. How much has that affected your life? Have you quit going to work? In some cases, yes. But you've gone about your life. You've gone about raising your family. You've gone about doing your own thing. And it's because that's just how we live. We live this ordinary, regular 
ordinary day life. Can I just tell you that in the life of a, of a child of God, not every day is a Mount Carmel experience? Just because you haven't seen the water turned into wine today does not mean that God is not at work and His kingdom is not advancing. Are you hearing me? Because you didn't see a miracle that you were praying for, does that mean God is, is not at work, that His kingdom is not moving in your life? No, that's absolutely false because you will be doing the normal things. We will all be doing the normal things, but the difference is is that you will be ready as a child of God, and that's what He's calling us to do, is we have to be ready for in the ordinary, mundane, Monday through Friday, work week, Saturday, Sunday, days off, we have to know that we are packed up, that we are prayed up, and we are ready to go. Why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, for in a moment, in the twinkling, in the blink of an eye, the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we will be changed. Suddenly, we will be changed suddenly on an ordinary, normal, regular March Sunday morning. We could be changed suddenly before we leave this service this morning because the kingdom of God is coming upon us. As a matter of fact, it's staring us right in the face. But he goes on. I'm going to conclude with this. Brother Perry, if you get ready. He says, verse 32, Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Somebody tell me the name of Lot's wife. You got it, Lot's wife. We don't even have her name. We don't know anything about her except that she was Lot's wife. But one thing that we do know about her is what? She was the first vendor of Morton's Rock Salt. That's exactly right. <laughs> you thought she was sour before that trip out of Sodom. Boy, she got sour quick. Remember Lot's wife, because in verse 33, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Jesus is speaking about the final days and his discourse about the coming judgment that is coming upon the world. And he said there's going to be a time when God's people will be longing for his coming. They'll be living ordinary, regular, everyday lives. The culture will be filled with false teachings. There will be deception and lies. You won't know the truth from, from, from falsehoods. But the world is going to be filled with all of those things. But Jesus is coming. And let me just tell you, friends, my preaching today is not directed toward helping you determine the exact and pre precise time that Jesus Christ comes again. But my, my, my proposition to you this morning is not when He's coming, but who He's coming for. Who is He coming for?
We know he's coming. Who is he coming for? That's the important part of this entire passage. He says, remember Lot's wife. Remember her. Jesus himself looked at his disciples and said, remember Lot's wife. It was a command. Think about it. And that's what I'm presenting to you today. It's scriptural. That's the thought for you today. Remember Lot's wife. Well, what about her? What was her name? Well, we don't know. Let me just tell you something that we do know. We do know that when we preach against judgment and we preach against sin and we preach against righteousness, that that's not a real popular subject. And let me just tell you, friends, I don't enjoy it either. But I have been charged by the call of God not to entice you with eloquent words and funny jokes, but to make sure that, the, that you know the kingdom of God is coming rapidly and you have to make sure that you are ready. So remember Lot's wife. My prayer preached. I, we, I had breakfast with one of the brothers in the church, and I told him, I said, man, the devil beat me up a couple weeks ago after preaching like I did. I got all over those light and the loafer, no sin-filled preacher, preachers of the gospel. It's all about, it's all about just rubbing shoulders and a little kumbaya singing a song and going home. My friends, it's my responsibility and my prayer is that God is going to, in these last days, fill a fresh group of pastors and preachers who will stand behind pulpits like this and will declare and preach repentance and declare the full counsel of God so that God's people are ready, that they're not wavering back and forth or playing games because we live in a time where the kingdom is suddenly coming upon us. We have to be ready. So whether I preach to five or to 50 or 500 or 5,000, the message will always be the same. I will not pull punches. I will tell the whole word of God. May God give prophets to preach the righteousness and the readiness of the church of Jesus Christ so that when Jesus comes, we are ready. We need to be ready. That's my commitment committed that to God. So in the time that I have left on this earth to preach however many sermons that I will ever preach, my job will be that I will preach the full counsel of God and warn anyone by using the words that Jesus used, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Let me close with these words. I just cut out about 10 minutes of my message. I want to close with this. I want to speak to believers this morning. Brother Perry, you can. Remember Lot's wife speaks to believers in several ways. I'm just going to give you four takeaways. Number one. It speaks to those who never think about the preparedness of the coming of Jesus Christ. How many times this week have we considered the coming of Jesus? How many times have we considered the kingdom of God moving into our, into our lives 
moving the chessboard around. How many times have we considered that? The Bible says that as it was in the days of Noah, business as usual this week, pastor, just gone to work, done my normal thing. As a believer, we have to be prepared for his coming. If you're of the opinion that you believe that before the Lord comes, all of a sudden the world's going to fall in line and the Word of God is just going to be a global revival all over, can I just tell you that I don't see that. Yes, there's going to be moves of God. But the Scripture plainly teaches in 1 Timothy that wickedness is going to be on the uptick. And so what is our job? We have to be prepared. We have to be ready. The world is not going to give you any help being ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? The world's not going to try to make it easy on you. As a matter of fact, the world is going to do everything it can to, to try to distract you. Oh, look over here. Look over there. Look here. Look there. Get your life over here. Spend all your time here. Do this. Do that. That's what the world is going to do. But my friends, that is not going to stop the coming of Jesus Christ. The reality. Secondly, believers understand that you cannot have been enticed by the, and distracted by the world's enticements. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. If you're seeking everything that this world has to offer, you're seeking the wrong thing. You're seeking after things that you can't even hold. I've never seen anybody with a U-Haul follow a hearse in a funeral procession. You can't take your stuff with you. I've never sat at the bedside of someone who was passing away saying, hey, bring all my stuff. Because they know that they can't take that with them. Don't let the world entice you. Don't let your job or money or things. You say, well, pastor, you know, I don't have a whole lot. Well, that's, that's all right. The Lord's going to take care of you. He's going to watch over you. You don't have to have a whole lot to go into heaven. All you have to have is Jesus in your heart. Praise God. Your bank account doesn't have to be full. You don't have to drive a new car or live in the right neighborhood. All you have to do is know Jesus. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. For the believer that's trying to live in the middle of the road, You're going to have to turn loose of the world and its grip upon you. You're going to have to let go of that. You can't ride the fence into heaven. You have to walk through the gate. You can't stand on the middle of the fence to get into heaven. You have to walk through the gate. So if you're in and out and you can't make up your mind, the Bible calls that lukewarmness. And I just encourage you with one word or one phrase. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. What was it? She looked back upon her life and she saw, she saw all of her, all of the people in, in Sodom. Oh, I love those. Those are my friends. That's, those, are my, those are my people. She saw her possessions. She had to walk away from some of those. She saw her pleasure. The entertainment, the things that she just enjoyed, that's what the world does. She saw her position, you know, hey, I've got my career, I've got my, I've got my raising my kids, I've got to do all that stuff. Remember Lot's wife, remember what happened. You can't, you can't lay hold 
of the kingdom of God and look behind you at the same time. You have to let that go. The older I get, the less this world really has for me. Brother Charles Wood, he let go of everything in this world a few days ago. And if I could ask him right now, I'd say, Brother Charlie, is there anything here that you would prefer than what you have experienced over there? I'm sure that he would probably respond like this. He'd say, man, I love Rhonda. She's a wonderful, wonderful lady. We had many, many years together. I love my family. I love my church. And hopefully he'd say, I love my pastor. But I'm going to be honest with you, Pastor Scott. There's not one thing that I couldn't live without because one of these days Rhonda's going to be with me and she wouldn't trade anything for it. Another family member, they're going to be with me. I'm telling you, there's not one thing that he would say, I'd like to go back and just maybe... Friends, there's nothing on this side of heaven worth missing heaven for. So if you're here this morning, and you're that believer, and you're wishy-washy, it's time to get your life right because the kingdom of God's coming suddenly. And let me just say this as I close. If you're here and you you're, don't know the Lord, you're unrepentant, you've heard this message, maybe not the first time, but you've heard a message like this before and you've kind of liked what it said, but you didn't do anything about it. You've just been a hearer of the word and not a doer. Let me tell you something, friend, you're running on borrowed time. You're not guaranteed to be able to make it home today. If you're a backslider, you've fallen away from the Lord. There was a time when you were close to the Lord, but now you're living a lie because you know too much to really enjoy your life of sin. Let me tell you something, that's going to just, that will fester inside of you until it just eats you all the way through. Don't abandon God's grace. Don't push His grace away. Don't push His voice away from you. That's a dangerous game to play. It's time for you to come home like that prodigal son as he sat in that pig pen and he realized he finally, the scripture says that he came to his senses. He realized where he was and he made a move toward home. It's time for you to come home, backslider, person who has known the Lord, fallen away. You're here today because of this call. So I'd like for you to bow your heads all over this room this morning. Is there anybody in this room that would just respond and say, Pastor, I want to be ready. I see the things that Jesus is fulfilling right now. There's things happening in my own life. I want to be ready. I don't want to miss. I don't want to miss heaven. But I'll tell you, my compass is not set toward heaven right now. If you're here today, you'd raise your hand and say, hey, Pastor, maybe I'm a believer and I've just allowed the distractions of the world to distract me from my real focus. Maybe legitimate distractions, maybe your family, maybe things, but your, your first love has, has grown cold. If you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you just raise your hand this morning right now, wherever you are in this room, would you just raise your hand? 
Yes, right back here. Anybody else? Yes, yes, yes. Another hand raised. Anybody? Yes, yes. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, right over here. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes, right here. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. All over this room. It's time for you to make that move to Jesus today. I'd like for everybody to stand. I know, I know what the hour is, but this is the most important time of the day. If everybody in the room would stand with me. I'm going to make this call. Let me tell you something. Lunch is not worth, lunchtime isn't worth trading it for heaven. So let's just be patient. If you raised your hand this morning, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. The Bible says that if you, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. If you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father. Yeah, that's exactly right. Jesus said those words. It's hard to believe, but it's, it's what he said. What he's saying is he's saying, if you want to follow me, it's going to take a public step. There are no secret Christians. There is no such thing as, as several dwellers in the Christian faith. You declare your faith publicly, and then you, whatever happens, happens. But you are, you are a follower of Christ. If you raise your hand, you're feeling that pressure. Don't let that be the pressure. That's not the pressure of God. That's the pressure of the enemy trying to keep you from moving out. If you're ready, if your heart is there, I'm going to count to three. I want you to just move to this altar. And when you step out, there's going to be other believers who are going to fall in right behind you. You're not going to be alone. Others are going to just come. They're going to lay your hands. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to just fall on your knees at one of these altars. And I want you to work it out with the Lord. If there's sin in your life, take care of it. Don't, take, don't roll the dice this afternoon. If you're not ready, if you're... If you're Life has been distracted. Don't play the game. Come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to count to three, and I want you to just move out. Christians, be praying. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word. I thank you for this church. God, I pray that, Lord, that the truth of the Lord would just continue, Lord, to flow, Lord God, over our people. Lord Jesus, I pray that today that everyone who raised their hand, Lord, declaring, Lord, their need for you, Lord God, that you would just, Lord, show them, Lord, that you are standing, Lord, with your arms open, Lord, with love, mercy, and compassion. Lord, you're not, you didn't come to condemn, Lord, men, but you came to save us, Lord. Your forgiving grace, Lord, is so wonderful. Lord, we are saved by your grace and your grace alone, Lord. It's not what we can do. It's not what we deserve, Lord. We can't earn it, Lord. It's the grace of God that is drawing those who raise their hands right now. The grace of God is drawing them. Now, Lord God, I pray that they would respond to your grace and that they would come and confess themselves, Lord, before you so that you might prepare them for the kingdom of God that's coming. If you raised your hand on the count of three, one, two, three, would you move out right now? Come on, if you raise your hand, move out. Christian friends, you're, you're praying with them. Come on, move out, move out right there. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Come on, come on. People are going to follow you right behind you. They're going to come just... Just kneel at the altars. Just come down and kneel at one of these altars. Come on, friends. Come on. You raise your hand. This is your moment. This is your moment. This is your moment. This is your moment. Come on. Just come and kneel at the altar and begin to talk to the Lord. Could I have some just believers, some, some spirit-filled folks to just come on in and stand behind these and begin to pray with them. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
And because he lives, come on, everybody, sing it. I can face tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.